Let me just say this, man. God is faithful. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, man, how awesome to be able to sing a new song that has timeless truths in it. I love that. That was a great song for me lyrically just to hear what it was saying was so powerful, right? And uh, so we get to celebrate a God who is faithful, a God who, man, he just continues to do what God does and what only God can do. And man, we need him more than ever, don't we? We do. We need him more than ever. I know I do. Man, I need him more than I ever have. And so I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, what's going on kind of across our country. And uh, it started at Asbury University, but there's a revival that has uh, been taking place there. And it's kind of spread to different college campuses and stuff. And it's, uh, you know, and revivals tend to happen, it seems like, among our college or our young adults, it seems like, because uh, God just works in that way. I don't know why, you know, and it moves and it stirs and uh, moves the heart. But the thing is, is there's a, it's a little bit different than it's been in, in some other revivals. And uh, there's a brokenness over their sin. There's a repentance that is there. There's a desire to just know God and to be right with God. That's revival. That's what revival looks like, right? And so uh, I don't know if you guys are are keeping up with that, but it's kind of spread to a lot of different college campuses, and it's kind of making its way around the country. And so for those of us that have been praying for revival, it's taking place, right? And, and so it's one of those things we celebrate that revival is, is, is here. It's, it's taking place. You know, I was thinking about even last week as I talked about that, you know, I watched a prodigal walk through the back door. You know, that's, that's revival. You know, there's five people put their faith in Christ last Sunday in these services. And we go, you know what? That's revival. God still answers the prayer of salvation, right? Woo, come on, man. And so God is moving in among us. There's something powerful and special that is happening in our church that we go, you know what? Man, God, that's only you. It's all about you. And it's for your glory. And really, it's, it's God's love. What we're doing is we're proclaiming God's love. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming God's love. We're sharing God's love. And hopefully today, as we talk about, you know, the second that he said was equally important in the great commandment, we're going to see how important our love of others really is. And so Jesus teaches us that. He models that. And so I don't want to kind of uh, delay any longer, but I want to kind of jump into this today. And I want us to pray for revival to continue and for the fires of revival that are happening across our nation. But God would just, he would fan them into flame. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it would literally sweep our nation. It's what our nation needs is God. It's not, it's not another politician or anything. What they really need and what our nation needs, what we need is we need God more than ever, more than ever. And so I'll just say this, this afternoon, our prayer team is going to meet up here at four o'clock and uh, we're just going to start praying. We're just going to, we're going to let God lead however he wants to in that. If you want to join us and be a part of that, we'll be up here at four o'clock in, in here and uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna ask God just to move in our community and move in our church in a way that maybe we we've never seen Him move before. So if you want to join us, we'll be here at four o'clock this afternoon for that. So we talked about the greatest commandment last week, and it's out of Mark chapter twelve. It says the most important commandment. One of the teachers of religious law uh, was standing there listening to the debate. And so what was happening is the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were trying to trap Jesus with what they thought were trick questions. But there's, like we said this what last week, there's nothing that tricks Jesus. And so he heard the uh, answer to one of the questions, and he thought, man, hey, that's a pretty good answer. So he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And again, he thinks he is wiser than God. He thinks that he is wiser than Jesus. So he's thinking, hey, you know what? I'm going to trap him with this one because if he picks one, then we can use it against him. So Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one. There's the one and only Lord. And you, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. We talked about that last week. What does that look like? It means to love him with everything that's in us. Every ounce of our fiber is to love God 
It's not to love everything else and just kind of give God just a little bit of leftovers, but it's to love him with our life. How we live, it's our, that is our true worship, is how we live. If we live as holy sacrifices unto the Lord, living sacrifices unto the Lord, then that is our true act of worship. And so Jesus is teaching, hey, man, you got to love God with everything that's in you. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so we see that Jesus answered the question, and he gives him really two, if you would. But the first is love God with everything that's in you. I mean, with every ounce of your fiber, meaning that you love God, you praise God, you celebrate God. And as a living sacrifice, you are actually worshiping him no matter what you do, no matter where you go. It doesn't matter if you're singing a song, an old song or a new song. What you're doing is you're saying, you know, God, I want my life to be a song that is sung before you. I want my life to be a witness to the people around me that I love you with everything that's in me. And then Jesus said the second one is equally important. And so the second one is equally important. So think about that. The most important thing we do, we go back to you know, the Shema, back in Deuteronomy, we go, you know what? The most important thing is to love God with all of our heart, with everything that's in it. That's the most important. But the second is equally important. The second one's just as important. It's loving God and loving people. Loving God with everything that's in us, and man, loving people. And too often, we don't live that way. Even as Christians, as believers, we don't live that way. There's people that we hate. There's people that we despise. You know, uh, and it could be for a myriad of reasons. It could be because of the college team they pull for, because of you just don't like them. You just don't like the way they dress. You don't like the way they look. You don't like what political party they line up with. You don't like whatever. And you can literally get to the point of where you hate them and you despise them. You know, and, and so God is saying, listen, that's, that's not what love is. Love is loving people even when they're different from you. Loving people even when they're your enemy. And so to, the second is equally important, to love God with everything that's in it, but it's also to love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us don't struggle too much with loving ourselves. Now, there are times that we do struggle with loving ourselves, and therefore we don't love ourselves. We don't love anybody. We don't really love God. We don't love ourselves and we don't love anybody. And so it, it can literally contaminate every relationship. It's because we're toxic and we're sick and we need help and we need to be healthy. We need to have a healthy view of who we are in Christ Jesus. And oftentimes what we do is we're just so toxic from past relationships or selfishness or greed that, you know, that we make everything about us and we, we hate who we are and therefore we hate everybody else. Anybody that's anywhere close to being like us, we hate them. And so we, we wrestle with this hate, but the Bible says, man, we're to love your neighbor as yourself. So we've got to learn how to love ourselves, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. We've got to learn how to love ourselves, but then we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so no other commandment is greater than these. So let's kind of unpack some of this. Loving one another out of 1 John 4, 7 through 12. We talked about this last week. Dear friends, says, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from who? God. That's a good thing, right? So love is a good thing. And love is way more than an emotion or a, a fuzzy feeling or, hey, you know, like when you see a puppy and you just want to uh, squeeze him, that's that, you might love that puppy, but that's not really all that love is. And so love is commitment. We talked about the definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Love is never giving up. Love is commitment. Love is not keeping a record of wrongs. Love, love is way more than what we often put it as a feeling or just kind of a, a butterfly type situation. But dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So if you really understand the definition that is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 of what love is, if you understand that and you live that out, then you know that that is of God. That's not what the world is selling. It's different. It's completely different than what the world sells. Because the world is like, hey, you love those who love you. 
you, you know, you only love, you only love certain things. You don't love every, you don't love everybody. You know, you know, there's some people that you don't, you're not supposed to like, and you're supposed to have factions and divisions. And that's what the enemy loves to do in a church. It's caused divisions and factions, right? If he can split that church, if he can cause division in that church, he's going against the very thing that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. Father, let them be one as we are one. Jesus prayed for unity. And there's always, the enemy's always trying to cause division in the church. He's always trying to cause division in your family. He's always trying to cause division in your marriage. He's trying everything he can to cause factions and divisions. That's what he does. But Jesus prayed for unity in John chapter 17. And so if we understand the picture of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, then we go, you know what, God, that means that I'm willing to stay committed. It means that I am not giving up. That means that I am going to be quick to forgive. I'm, going to, I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs. I'm going to do things different than what the world sells. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if we don't really love the way that the Bible teaches us, then we have to ask ourselves, do I really know God? Do I really have a relationship with him at all? And has God ever changed my heart? Has he given me that tender heart we talked about last week out of Ezekiel? And so God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. So God gave the first example of loving people, right, by sending his son Jesus to die that we might live. And so God, who was in heaven, Jesus who was in heaven, man, did not need to come here, did not, you know, but God said, hey, listen, I want to redeem them. I want to make them right with me. I want to pay the price. I want to, I want to literally, you know, put us in a right relationship. So God was willing to do whatever it took to restore us. So he gave his one and only son. And we've often said that, you know, as, as pastors and teachers here, it's hard to get your mind around giving your child for people that despise you, you know, letting him lay his life down on a cross, letting him be beat and persecuted, letting him be beat and flogged, hit with a stick. You know, crown of thorns pushed on his head. All that for somebody that doesn't even love you, doesn't even care about you. They despise you. You know, and we're living in, in, as enemies of the cross. We're living as enemies of Jesus. We're living as enemies of, of the Father. But yet Jesus would give his son so that you and I might have eternal life, that we might live, that we might be redeemed, that we might be made righteous, that we might be part of his family. I mean, that's a love that we can't even get our mind around. So God loved people enough that he would send his son into the world. And oftentimes we hate people. But yet we go, you know what? We love God. Well, if you love God, then you got to love people. And if you're one of those that you hate people, you know, like I, I talk about this, there are times people go, hey, man, they love a crowd, but they hate people. You know, they like, to be around, they like people to show up, but they don't like to be around people. We've got to say, God, help me to love people the way that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about. And not just the ones that I like or that dress like me or look like me or vote like me, but help me to love everybody the way that you love them. Give me eyes to see them the way that you see them. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's real love. That's what scripture says, right? That's, what, that's real love. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to what? Love each other. We surely ought to love each other. If God can love me in my brokenness, and I'm broken. And see, that's really all we are. We are we're broken people. And man, we're, we're broken in so many ways and we could go back. Many of us could go all the way back to our childhood and we're broken from things in our childhood. Some of us are broken from things in our teenage years. Some of us are broken from things in our, in our, in our twenties or our thirties or forties or whatever, you know, and so we're broken. We're in need of a savior. We all are. And so the more that we look back and we go, man, if God could love me and my brokenness, then God, surely I should love others the way that you love me. 
And so that's the picture that we see. We've got to be willing to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And see, there are people that see how we love them and they go, man, there's got to be, there's got to be Jesus in this guy. There's got to be God in this person, you know, because of how they love me, because I know I'm unlovable, but yet they continue to show love to me. They continue to care for me, pray for me, do all these things. And so I know that they love me. You know, and, and so there are times that we know, hey, man, we're unlovable, and we've got to say, you know, God, help me to love the way that you love. First John four nineteen through 20 says, we love each other because he first loved us. That's why. We love, we love each other because he loved us first. It's because of God's love. You know, we've got to be able to say, God, help me to die to so much, to maybe the way I was raised, maybe to the culture around me. Help me to die to that. Help me to deny that. Help me to crucify that. And God, help me to love the way that you love people. And the reason we love is not because of, hey, that's, that's just something that's in me. It's because he loved me first. And he placed his spirit within me. And whenever the spirit and the presence of God is inside of me, man, it's, you know you, what? you can't keep that in. It's going to come out, right? And so the love of God is going to come out through the believer who is saying, God, I want to be led by your spirit. I want to I be filled with your spirit. And I want to walk in your spirit. And I want to see people the way you see them. And I want to love people the way you love them. And God, I want you to be evident in my life. And so the more that we do that, the more it's evident to the people around us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. How many times have we seen people in churches that would hate somebody they go to church with? Or they would hate somebody that's a believer. And, and so if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Now, that, that person could be your aunt or your uncle or your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. It could be some, and you might say, well, Mike, they're not a believer, so it's okay to hate them. God loved them enough that he sent his son to die for them. We may hate what they do. We may hate their sin. God hates our sin, right? But he loves us. He loves the sinner. He hates the sin. I love God, but, but hates a fellow believer. That person is a liar. For If we don't love people, we, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? If we got people right here around us that we got the opportunity to show love to, but we won't love them, how can we really love a God that we can't put our arms around sometimes? So this is scripture. This is 1 John calling it out. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. That's talking about the church. That's other believers, other people that have put their faith in Christ. Like I said, last Sunday, you know, there were five people that we know of that put their faith in Christ. The Sunday before that, five people put their faith in Christ. So I can just tell you one thing. We got 10 people that need to follow Christ in believers' baptism. If you hadn't done that, you need to take that step, right? I was joking. I leaned over to Dylan and said, hey, man, you, you haven't been baptized, right? And he goes, yes, sir. I was like, I'm just making sure, man, because baptism's coming up. And that's something we ought to be excited about. If you're a believer, if you've really been saved, man, it's the first step of obedience. You go, man, I want to go public. I want everybody to know Christ lives in me. And man, that love should begin to be evident to the people around you. There ought to be change. If you have given your life to Christ, there ought to be change in you. You may not, be, you may not become Paul all of a sudden, but I'm just telling you, there ought to be change in you. There's, if there's no change, there's probably no Jesus. You know, so we've got to begin to say, God, I, I want you to change me and transform me. And so we've got to love our fellow believers. So the early church, it exploded because of God's love. Now, I, I think a lot of times what we do is we look back and say it's because of some, some of the things they did. It's the expression of God's love that, you know, that, that made that happen. It's God at work in the hearts of believers that made it happen. So the early church exploded because of God's love. 
says all the believers, this is out of Acts 2.42, says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they were focused on the Word of God. They were focused on the teachings of the apostles. And they devoted themselves. Think about what devotion is. They're devoted to something. They're committed to something. There's that commitment again that we, we, we talk about in love. So all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So they were devoted to fellowship, to getting together, to spending time together. They were devoted to that and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So they would literally sit down and break bread together. And then they would, they would also do the Lord's Supper together. And then they were what? And committed to what? Prayer. Let me tell you, the hardest, hardest group to grow is the prayer group. The hardest one to get people to come, commit to is prayer because a lot of people are like, well, I don't really know how to pray. Well, then learn. Amen. Hey, man, let's learn how to pray, right? Hey, Amen. let's just pray with, with, the, with the best we know how. I'm just telling you, man, God will move when prayer takes place. When prayer and worship and repentance and those things, that's when revival begins to explode, man, it takes place. And so a lot of people, you know, we look back at this and we go, man, that is a powerful t season in the life of the church. The church exploded day by day. Let's keep look, reading. So the deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And so there's this deep sense of awe. They're like, man, what is, what is God doing? Don't you love being a part of something where you go, man, man, God's doing something. I don't, I don't even know what he's doing, but man, you can just tell this is a God thing. And so that's what we want to be a part of. And that's what they were experiencing. And they were, they had this deep sense of awe. It says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's a miracle right there, right? With a bunch of greedy people getting together and say, man, here, I don't need this. You take it. Hey, I don't need this. You take it. And instead of hoarding, they're giving away. They're, they're literally blessing others. They're, they're making it not about them, but about others. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That's a miracle, right? The American dream is the opposite of that. Man, you get all you can. You gather all you can. You own all you can. I mean, that's the American dream that we sell. But Jesus is saying, hey, listen, man, it's something different. Well, sometimes it's not about what you have. It's about what you can give away. And I promise you, you can't outgive God. And so oftentimes if there's somebody in need, instead of going, hey, well, I've got two and you don't have any and you kind of go, nah, 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 whatever. But you say, hey, listen, you know, I don't need this other one. You take it. What if, what if we had that mentality? And a lot of people say, well, man, the, the place would be crazy, man. The, the church would blow up. That's what it did. So they worshiped together at the temple each day. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So there's joy. And it's generosity, man, just blessing, just giving, just, just, just giving out of, uh, just been out of, out of love. That's what it was. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So every day people are putting their faith in Christ for salvation, man. They're going, man, I, I, I want Jesus to live in me. And they're seeing it lived out. They're going, man, I want what these people have. And man, there's people getting saved every day. It's not just every Sunday. It's every day. Every day there are people getting saved. I mean, look at that. It says, and, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Wouldn't that be nice in our, in our nation for, for people to enjoy the goodwill of all the people? In other words, instead of there being factions and divisions and different types of parties, man, everybody's enjoying being together and go, man, we are God's people. And man, we're, we're enjoying being together. And so that's the picture that we see there. And so people are being saved day by day. So some ways that we love one another. I want to kind of just unpack what that looks like. And some of it will come out of the text we just read. But praying for one another. Man, we need to pray for one another. You know, there's, there's so many of us that are going through things. Like I said, we're all broken. And, and we, you know, we often want people to pray for us. But we need to be praying for others as well. 
And so there are people that, you know, God brings to mind. And man, you just need to, you know, you just need to pray for them. Maybe you shoot them a text. They man, I just want you to know I prayed for you today. Pray for somebody. Maybe you call them up and say, hey, listen, man, I, you know, God put you on my heart. You mind if I pray with you and pray with them on the phone? Someone asks you for prayer. You say, hey, man, I'm going to be praying for you. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to say, hey, why don't we pray right now? And you go ahead and pray. Or what if you, you, know, you get up and you drive over to their house and say, hey, listen, man, I don't know why, but the Lord told me to come and pray for you. And they, you might freak them out. Wouldn't that be cool, though? And say, but man, God told me to come pray for you. And then you pray over them and you leave. You don't go in and eat their food or nothing like that. You just pray over them, you know? And because if you go in and it's unexpected, that might push them back. You know, they might kind of get weirded out by that. But if you say, man, God just told me to come pray for you, you pray for them. You know what you're doing? You're showing God's love. So praying for one another is one of the ways that we, we show God's love. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And so God's word is telling us this is the very thing that most of us don't want to do. Is we're going, confess your sins to each other. Man, I've told God about it, but here's the thing. There are times that God may say, hey, listen, I need you to go and ask someone to forgive you. Confess your sin to them. Ask them to forgive you and so that healing may begin. And so we, we're always, we always want things kind of work in the dark and in a secret. We say, well, you know, I've already talked to God about that, so I'm good. That's not what Scripture says. The Scripture says you may need to go to confess to someone and ask for forgiveness. You may just need to go confess your sins to someone to establish some accountability this is the struggle in my life. This is where I'm getting whipped every day. And you confess that to someone, they begin to hold you accountable so that healing may begin. And so we, we need to understand the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. If you don't have a prayer warrior in your life, man, go find one. Ask, ask someone that you know that loves to pray to be your prayer warrior. And I'm telling you, they'll stand in the gap for you. We, need, we all need prayer. Every one of us needs prayer. And it's one of the ways that we show love. Another is by encouraging one another. You ever get around somebody who has the gift of encouragement, kind of like a Barnabas, and you go, man, I like being around that person. Y'all know anybody like that? I mean, you just get around them and you go, you know what? I, I feel encouraged. I feel, you know, I feel better about myself because I've been around them because they speak life over me. And it's always cool to be around someone who speaks life over us, right? And so whenever you experience that Barnabas in your life or that encourager in your life, you kind of want to be with them. Now, when you get around some people, they can just kind of, they can be that leech that sucks the life out of you and you go like, whew. I can only take them in doses, and that's just keeping it real, right? But encouraging one another is often, man, it's, it's, like, it's like giving someone spiritual vitamins, man. It's just like, hey, you can do this. I believe in you. And all of a sudden, they begin to believe in themselves, right? And so it's encouraging words. It's doing encouraging things. It's just blessing people. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So, Maybe for some of you, even right now. So this is what Scripture is telling you. Think about ways, right now, think about ways to encourage somebody that God has put on your heart today. It could be your child. It could be your mom or your dad. It could be your brother, your sister. It could be your aunt, uncle. But, go, you know, God, help me to think of ways to motivate them, to encourage them. Maybe they're struggling. God, I want you to help me think of ways to do that, that moves towards uh, love and good, good works. And then Hebrews 10, 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. as Some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so what that scripture is saying, hey, listen, man, let's meet together regularly. Let's make sure that we're encouraging one another. Because here's the thing, we go through the week sometimes, we get shot full of holes, right? I mean, there are, there are weeks where, I mean, I, am, I feel like I'm taking blow after blow after blow. And whenever I get together with other believers, man, there's, there's that... 
there's that ministry that takes place where they love on you, they pray over you, they speak truth over you, they claim scripture over you, and you go, you know what, all right, I feel restored. And so I feel encouraged. And so therefore, I'm ready to go again. We need that. Here's another one, caring for one another. These are, these are ways that we show God's love. These are ways that we show love. So caring for one another. I think most of us in the room would say, all right, that one is a real evident way of showing love. And so it says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's out of the passage we just read out of Acts. And so maybe we, we share, we care for one another. You know, we, we provide, we see a need and we meet that need. We don't just say, hey, God, I'm praying for you to meet that need. And God's saying, I'm, I want to meet it through you. That's what we often do, right? We pray, hey, God, I see there's a need there at the church, but I hope that somebody else will step up and do it. And God is letting you see that. If you see the need, most of the time you're part of solving and helping meet that need. If you don't realize that, if God lets you see a need, it's so that you can be a part of meeting that need. It's not so that somebody else can. It may be that God will connect you with somebody else that can do more than you can do, but it's for you to be a part of solving that need, that need. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to, to do that. Sharpening one another. You know, there are times that we, you know, we can become dull from life, right? A, a, a good knife, if it's used regularly, will become dull from use. And so we need to be sharpened uh, by one another. We need to be sharpened and reminded, you know, uh, hey, I want to be effective. There's an old illustration years ago, a young boy got a job working uh, uh, for a, a sawmill uh, company or whatever, and he was actually cutting trees down. And anyway, he started out, man, he was going gangbusters because he had a new wife and man, he wanted to make sure that he did well. Anyway, first day, his productivity is really good. Second day, it starts dropping off. Third day, the boss comes and says, hey, man, I don't have to let you go. And he goes, he goes, why are you letting me go? He said, man, he said, your productivity has been, was incredible the first day, but you're dropping off quick. And, uh, and he said, um, have you sh stopped to sharpen your saw at all? And he's like, no, sir, I've been working so hard. And so there are times we need to retreat. There are times we need to pull back and we need to be sharpened because we can become dull literally from overuse sometimes. And we need, Jesus retreated, right? He pulled back. He met with the father and we were able to go back and hit it harder than ever before. And so sharpening one another, we need people in our life that will do that. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We help each other be better at what we do, better at loving our wife, better at loving our husband, better at leading our kids, better at serving, better at whatever it is. We're, we help each other do those things so that we're the best that we can be. So sharpening one another is showing God's love, teaching one another. You know, all of us need to be taught. That's what I'm doing now. I'm teaching you guys what I have learned. And so there are life group leaders all over this church that, man, they want to gather with people and teach them what they've learned. And so teaching one another is important. <laughs> Acts 2.42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's teaching again. And to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So maybe we need to teach people how to, hey, what it is to have fellowship. Some people don't know how to have fellowship, Right. Uh, you know, getting together and just enjoying being together, talking about the things that the Lord has done, you know, talking about, you know, what you're doing in life, doing life together. That's fellowship. Uh, last night we had, had, had a meal, Lori and I had a meal with a couple of families from the church and it was just a good fellowship, just good time, right? Just good time of catching up and, and learning about what's going on in their life. But fellowship and sharing in meals, man, just doing, you know, maybe you invite somebody over for dinner. Maybe you sit down and you just have dinner together. That's, that's always, it's kind of a lost art, but it's something that can be cool, right? And then to prayer, you know, maybe we're to teach people and teach them how to pray. Those that don't know how to pray. We've done series on, on how to pray and then being generous to one another. Generosity is one of those great gifts that, you know, that if you're on the receiving end, you always really feel like, man, I really feel loved whenever they're generous to me. But what about being on the other side where you're giving? 
See, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? But most of us don't believe that. We always say, hey, well, if I get on the, like if somebody's going to give $1,000 to me, I'm going to feel really loved. But what about if you give $1,000 to somebody? What if you bless somebody? Does it feel like love? If you're basing it on the world standards, probably not. But if you base it on what God says, he says, man, you're, you're being blessed in a major way. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the home for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And see, the blessing sometimes of meeting someone else's need is you're filled with un unspeakable joy. And you, and you want to be generous. Rather than wanting to be greedy, all of a sudden you want to be generous. You want to bless people. You want to see their life changed. You want to see their life improved. You want to see their needs met and that God is willing to use somebody like you serving one another. You might say, well, you know, some of the other things I think you said would probably cover that. But I, I love this right here. It says God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of what? Spiritual gifts. Use them well to what? To serve one another. We were in our life group this past Wednesday night or actually the week, Wednesday night before, and we were talking about, you know, our, uh, our spiritual gifts. And so I said, hey, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? And a couple of them were like, no, I don't know it. I don't know. I said, all right, next week we're doing a spiritual gifts assessment, and I want you guys to know what your spiritual gifts are. And so this past Wednesday when we got together, we're going around the room, and the ones that had taken the test, and some of them procrastinated and uh, didn't do it. But anyway, so as we're going around the room, the ones that had done the test, if you know those people, you go, there's no question that's your spiritual gift. I mean, you know it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you look at them. Hey, that's theirs is administration. Theirs is serving. Theirs is giving. Theirs is whatever. And so whenever you have a spiritual gift, the Bible says to use it to serve what? One another, right? So if you're, if you're sitting in this room and you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, then we need to help you discover what that spiritual gift is. Because if you're a believer, if you have put your faith in Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift or a spiritual endowment. And the Bible says that you're to, you're to use that to help build up the body of Christ. And so your job is to use your spiritual gift to serve others so that the body of Christ becomes stronger and builds and it grows the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus, it's his kingdom, it's his plan. You know, all that stuff comes together because we, all of us, every one of us are using our spiritual gifts. So by serving one another, we literally help build and grow the kingdom. And so therefore more and more people are coming to know Christ, right? Because We've got greeters that are greeting, that are using their spiritual gifts. We've got guys in the parking lot that are using their spiritual gifts. We've got people that have the gift of hospitality over here in the cafe serving people and just ministering to their needs. We have people who have the gift over here where they're loving on kids, man, and they're teaching children, and they're pouring their heart into these kids. Whenever you walk through as a mom or dad, they pray over you that God would literally give you peace of mind so that you can come in here and receive a word from God, but your child is ministered to. And so we've got people that are using their spiritual gifts to help build up the body of Christ, even teaching children. We've got people that are using gifts to do technology, to be able to send this message out all over the globe, to be able to use their, their gifts to help make this thing seamless so that, you know, you know what, there's no distractions. And they're using their gifts. So my question is, are you using your gifts to serve others? Do you even know what it is? And if not, then figure it out today. Find out today. We'll give you a link. We'll, we'll, we'll put that in the notes somewhere. We'll put it on the website to where you can find out how you can discover what your spiritual gifts are. Because it's so important for you to know how to serve God by using the spiritual gifts, by loving others, by serving them. And so we need to, we need to know what those are. And then here's, here's the last one. Speaking, I think it's the last one. Speaking truth to one another. I think we need to know the truth. Too often what we do is we, we, we want to tickle people's ears. 
We want to tell them what they want to hear. And sometimes you have to be willing to tell people what they need to hear. But you speak that truth in what? You speak it in love. And so speaking truth to one another is, is so critical. I love this. This is talking about, and you could go back and say, well, this is talking about teaching. Well, this is talking about speaking the truth, which is teaching. If you're teaching God's word, it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. I would just say that to every believer in this room, every believer that's watching online. You need to be grounded in your faith. You need to know what you believe. Because there's always a new wave of teaching. There's always a false teacher out there somewhere. There's always the enemy trying to draw you away from God's word. And so whenever you become mature and you grow up in your faith and you're no longer just a little baby in Christ. I mean, in other words, you pray to receive Christ. You're a, you're a babe in Christ. You're a baby. You know, and you need to grow up. You need to take that first step of obedience, be baptized. You need to take that next step, get involved in a life group, you know, get, get God's word, begin to understand what God's word says and what he says about who you are and what he wants to do in you and through you. And the more that you begin to understand that, the more you grow in your faith, the more mature you become. And you get to the point of where it's not about you. It's about loving God and loving others, right? And the more that you do that, the more that God's going to use you. But we're not tossed about because of different teachings that come along. We will, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. We know God's word. We know the truth. And so we need to speak that over one another. Instead, we will speak the truth in what? In love. So we're going to speak the truth in love. That's what believers are supposed to do. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like who? Like Christ. That's, that's growing up, that's maturing, that's developing. Who is the head of his body, the church. And so we're to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to speak the truth over people. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work, has spiritual gifts at work. It helps the other parts grow. So we are critical to the body, every one of you in this room, every one of you watching, to use your, your spiritual gifts. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of what? So we all have a part in this. We all have a part in this. It's, it's, it's not just something like, well, I hope Mike does a good job with the message today. I hope Eric does a good job with the worship today. I hope that you know, so, whoever's up there at the church is doing their part. And really, the church, everybody has a part. And our job is to, do, is to do the work of God by loving people, loving them enough to speak truth into their life, by serving them, encouraging them, praying for them, giving to them. That's what the body of Christ is about. It's not about coming and sitting in a service. It's about living, being a living sacrifice no matter where we go. That's truly our act of worship. And we're doing this wherever we go. And so go back to what we talked talk about. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything that's in us. All my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything that's in me. And then loving others. Loving others. As much like I love myself, right? And so we've got to be willing to say, God, I want to see the body of Christ built up. So here's some next steps for you today. Love God with everything I've got. Love God with everything that's in me. Every ounce of my fiber, man, I, I want to love God with that. I don't want to just love God on Sunday mornings. I want to love him with every day of the week. I want to love him with every ounce of my fiber. Everything that's in me, I want to love him. And here's the second one. Love others in, a way that, that, in ways that are tangible. We just gave you a bunch of them, right? Praying over people, giving to people, serving people. You know, you mean, speaking truth over people. There's so many ways that you can love on people. And so love others in a tangible way. And I like this one. Love others the way I would want to be loved. Love others the way I would want to be loved. Because here's the thing is, oftentimes there's somebody out there just like you. 
I always love it when somebody shares a testimony and somebody sitting here will go, you know what? That's me. They'll go, that's, that's where I'm at. So I love the power of a testimony, a testimony of a changed life, a testimony of someone who's been set free, a testi- testimony of someone who has been born again, that they know that they're a child of God. They know, you know what, that God is at work on them. They know they're broken and they know that God's putting them back piece by piece. They know that. And so whenever someone shares that testimony, go, man, that's me. Then here's the thing. We, we need to go, God, show me how to love them the way I want to be loved. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're watching today online or maybe you're here in the room. And man, you've never received God's greatest gift of love. And that's Jesus. We started out talking about that. That's what real love is, is whenever God sent his son Jesus to die that we might live. So maybe you're here, you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never been saved, you don't know if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you don't know if you were to die that you would go to heaven, but Jesus wants you to know that. That's the reason he left heaven, was to come here, was to tell you about it, and to provide the way of salvation, to provide you with a way to be in right standing with God the Father. So what's keeping you from making that decision today? He loves you. He loves you with a love we can't even get our mind around. And so maybe you're here today and you go, Mike, I need to experience God's love. I need to receive Jesus Christ for salvation. I want to walk you through that. I was 19 years old when I prayed that prayer. And I remember going, man, I don't really know exactly what I need to do. But I walked down front and I gave my life to Christ. And the pastor asked me, he said, Mike, what are you coming forward for? He said, son, what are you coming forward for? I said, I don't know. I just know I need Jesus. So I didn't know everything I needed to know at that point. But the most important thing I did know was I needed Jesus. And so he led me through a prayer. It kind of like, went like this. It said, Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And Jesus, I, I confess to you that I need you. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. That's repentance. And so Jesus, will you save me? I give you my life. I surrender everything and let me tell you i got down on my knees lost and needing a savior and i stood up a child of god and i knew it the moment i stood up that i was his and i was part of his family and i'd been redeemed and maybe you're here maybe you're watching online and you go mike that's that's what i need then pray that prayer just say jesus i'm a sinner and i want to ask you to forgive me Jesus, I want to ask you to fill me with your spirit. And Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. I surrender everything. That is how much God loves you. He sent his son to redeem you, to save you, to set you free, and to make you whole. If you just prayed that prayer, anybody in the room, if you don't mind, if you would, just raise your hand. Anybody in here, just raise your hand. Say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer with you. Anybody. Maybe online, if you made that decision online, man, if you don't mind, text us. My decision, 94,000, we would love to know. That tells me there's a lot of believers in this room. And we talked a lot about believers today. And so let me ask you this. Are you a believer who is sitting here in one of these chairs or watching online that you have hate in your heart towards other believers? Are there some things that you need to get out? Some things you need to confess as sin? Some things that you need to lay down? Are there some people you need to go to and ask them to forgive you? Maybe you just need to say, God, I just need you to change my heart. 
My heart is bitter. My heart is cold. My heart is, I'm hard-hearted. And Father, I'm filled with hate. The Bible says that's, that shouldn't be in a believer. And so in just a minute, the worst team is going to play a song. It's an opportunity to respond, to maybe go to an altar. But I believe that God is doing some spiritual surgery right now in this room, and I think he's doing it online as well. You would say, Mike, hey, that, that's me that you just talked about. Will you pray for my heart? Will you raise your hand and say, Mike, would you pray for my heart? Because my heart is bitter. I'm filled with hatred. I'm bitter with, filled with anger. Bitter. Just raise your hand. Be honest. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Say, God, will you, will you help me get my heart right? God, will you help me? I see your hand. Anybody else? God, will you help me get my heart right? I see your hand. I see your hand. Because God doesn't want you walking through life with bitterness and anger and resentment and rage. He wants you filled with His Spirit. He wants you filled with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all the fruits of the Spirit. That's what He wants you filled with. And hopefully that's what we want, right? I want to ask everybody just to stand. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads. I'm going to pray for us, and worship team is going to come and lead us. Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you that you love us. God, I pray that we would not leave here the same. Father, we want to love people the way that you love them. And so, God, work in our heart right now. Those that have raised their hands in here today, God, I pray that they would do business with you. Father, fill this place with your spirit, your presence, your power in such a way that we can't walk out of here not carrying this sin any longer. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys respond as the Holy Spirit leads. <laughs>